solo mente. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to a Friday edition of the Locked On Texans podcast. I am one half of your host, John Hickman, along with my co-host, Cody Davis. Super excited for today's show. Thank you for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And this episode of Locked On Texans is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends over at McDonald's. And Cody, what do we have on the rundown for today? And as always, Monday through Friday, let's talk Texans. <laughs> yes, sir. And on this Friday installment of Locked on Texans, you know what it is. We got our guy, Mr. Brandy K. Scott from Sports Radio 16 to get his thoughts about the NFL trade deadline, the press conference of Nick Casario, and of course, previewing the week nine match against the Texans and the Miami Dolphins. But of course, since today is Friday, just really quick, we're going to give the listeners their time to shine. But then we're going to close out this segment with a theory of mine that I want to share with everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And this theory, ladies and gentlemen, is very interesting. It's very interesting to say the least. But let's go ahead and get started with dun, 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 <laughs> hearing from the listeners, the viewers of the Locked On Texas podcast. X Razor said a couple of days ago, if I'm getting rid of Cooks and uh, Zach Cunningham, I need at least no, I'm sorry. If I'm getting rid of Cooks, I need a first-round pick. If I'm getting rid of Cunningham, I need a second-round pick. And I'm here to tell you, my boy X Razor, Cunningham, I don't know if you're getting a second-round pick out of him. You're definitely not getting a first-round pick out of Brandon Cooks. And, of course, this is in response to the uh, show we had before the trade deadline. And the trade deadline has come and passed. However, you know, I think Texan fans – do need to be a little bit more realistic about what they are going to get back in return for some of these players, especially considering a player like Zach Cunningham and his contract. I will say that if he was to be moved, Houston should look to get the highest pick back because I assume they would take on a good chunk of that contract that they signed Zach Cunningham to last year. Jalen Johnson. He mentioned that I know that it was against the second unit, but Mills showed some good things in the fourth quarter. Cully needs to realize that they need to let Mills throw the football or have him in shotgun and get him into some play action situations. Cody, I know I'm going to, excuse me, give you the floor, but I 100% agree. You know, I'm, I'm even calling moving forward. Majority of the offense we should see on Sunday and moving <laughs> forward should be a four wide receiver set, to be completely honest with you. That has been when the offense has been the most – successful so far this year is when they are putting the ball in the air. We know the run game is non-existent. We know how uh, detrimental that has been to the lack of success Houston has had offensively this year. I mean, between two games, they were giving up a sky, a sky bunch of points. They only scored eight points. So I 100% agree, Cody. What are your thoughts on just getting the ball out? Now it wouldn't be Davis Mills. It would be Tyrod Taylor because he has been announced to be the starter for Sunday's matchup. But does it make more sense to go, go ahead and put that ball in your quarterback hands more times than not? 
Yeah, most definitely, especially in consideration for Davis Mills, because we came here on this show. Every time we praise Davis Mills, it came in a game where they actually trust him, allow him to push the ball down the field. And John, you looked at it from the whole Texans and the offense standpoint. I'm going to look at it from Davis Mills standpoint, because Mills even talked about it after Sunday's game. He said, look, I, I feel more comfortable when we are going out there. I'm pushing the ball down the field. They're letting me use my arm because it helps a quarterback. It helps him get into a rhythm. And as an athlete, you know, depending on how good or how bad you play, a lot of times it depends on whether or not you can get into a rhythm. And it right. was hard for, for Davis Mills to get, to find that rhythm when you're giving the ball to David Johnson, you're giving the ball to Philip Lindsay, and they're only giving one yard, sometimes you're losing yardage. Now they expect you to go out there in third and, what, 15, and now they want to let you use your arms. And at that point, it's a little bit too late. So I 100% agree with that listener. Go out there and let Davis Mills play. Well, now, as I mentioned, it'll be Tyrod Taylor. But whoever's behind center, give that quarterback an opportunity to actually move the change, a change, rather, for the offense because Houston has had a problem with doing so so far this year. Last one, we're going to move on. Cody, read Craig. This is for you, Cody. <laughs> the questions you asked at the press conference are great. No cookie-cutter questions like some in the room. You actually ask the questions that we fans want to get the answers to. And this is responding to your question when you asked David Cully um, <laughs> that, I'm sorry, you asked Cully a question that I love for you to ask Casario. Is Casario disappointed that number four in reference to Deshaun Watson didn't even give them a chance? I thought that was a, a great question when you asked David Cully on a personal note, mm. personal level as you missed it, mentioned it. You know, is this one of those situations where if you get the opportunity, the same goes for Casario, why didn't Deshaun Watson give you an opportunity and how did that make you feel? But that was a great question, Cody. I want to highlight that because you're doing an amazing job over there with Houston, Texas. <laughs> Thanks, man. And actually, I do plan on – thank you, by the way, listen. I really do appreciate the love and the support. Um, I, I do plan on asking Nick Casario that question, but I think I'm actually going to save it until after they move – Deshaun Watson, only because I think if I ask him now, I'm going to get the same response that I got from David Culley, which was a no comment. Um, and even when you go back and you take a look at the Nick Casario press conference, after he addressed the Deshaun Watson situation the first time, I think he answered John McClain's question about Deshaun. And, and of course he should, because, you know, McClain, that's that's a legend. That's a Hall of Famer. And he should. But everybody else, he kind of like danced around the question or just say, you know, no comment or next question, you know, to move on. So, you know, I do plan on asking Nick, Nick Casario that question, but I'm actually going to save it after they move on from Deshaun, which is hopefully in March or April or somewhere along those lines. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, John, earlier this week, we played with the opera, we played with the idea that Sunday's game is going to be a big audition. Um, if the Texans beat Miami, Deshaun might be thinking, man, you know, if Texans beat Miami, do I really want to go to Miami? And for Miami, you know, they might want to beat the Texans to, to, to signal to Deshaun, this is why you should come to South Beach, whatever the case might be. But, John, listeners, I played around with this idea earlier on yesterday. And after what I found out through through a source, it's this idea might, might be realistic if these situations come fruition. Um, Brian Flores. Head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He's on the hot seat. Hot and I do water, feel 
He's hot right now. He, I mean, that's he, he might have the hottest seat in the NFL right now, even hotter than David Cully's, which I think David Cully, I hate to say this, is a placeholder at this point. But Brian Flores is on the hot seat, especially if the Texans beat Miami. He's he's gone. He's he's walking out the door. I can see a situation where if the Texans depart from David Cully this offseason, and I do think that is a real possibility. I would not be surprised if the Texans were to go after Flores because one, you take a look at the whole Deshaun Watson situation. The owner in Miami wants Deshaun. Flores doesn't want Deshaun. Flores is content with tool. He he is true on that. He is true on that standpoint. So they're already at a at, they're already banging heads on that situation already. The owner and the general manager. Two, where is Brian Flores from? The New England Patriots tree. Not only that, I was told by a source that Flores, of course, and it makes sense, has a relationship with Nick Casario. And you know Nick Casario wants to bring his guys here in the city of Houston. Now, regardless how you feel about Brian Flores, if you think he's a good coach or a subpar coach or a terrible coach, if the Texans move on from David Cully, and the same goes for Flores in Miami, do not be surprised if he ends up here in the city of Houston. <clears throat> That's very interesting. And I think Brian Flores is a coach that would come in and be able to pick his own coaching staff. Right? But, by the way, because of that relationship he has with Casario, he would have more trust and confidence to do that. Right, and I, I think this is a situation where – Tim Kelly is also auditioning for the rest of the league because I don't see him returning for next year as well. Uh, I, I I can make a point for Greg Jackson, the defensive, the, the the DB coach, the safety coach. I can make a point for right now, maybe James Camp. And I think because he was brought in in the fashion he was, he'd stick around because of Casario wanting him here. But I could see that scenario for a few of the coaches on this coaching staff. And Brian Flores is a coach that, as you mentioned, comes from that New England tree, has a relationship with Nick Casario, they may be in a position to work their heads together to really find a coaching staff that can maximize the talent that they're going to have to keep and the talent that they're bringing in. So that isn't too far-fetched. I don't think so, Cody. I think that is a uh, that's something to think about, to say the least. I, I, it is. I and, so. You know, I, I would like to tell the listeners out there, if you are planning on to watch Sunday's game, you know, just pay attention to the way – Flores, you know, handles the clock. See what kind of play calling, you know, have. Just, just, it's just an idea that I'm putting out there that it became an idea. But after what I found out about the relationship that him and Casario already has, and once again, it makes sense because they were, they both was in New England together. It's an idea that could possibly become a, a, a reality really soon. And look, I'm rooting for David Cully. I'm for I'm a, I'm gonna forever root for David Cully, regardless of how much he gets on my nerves at his press conference. And look, we all are not blind. We're not dumb. We know the deal that's going on with Cully. Um, and especially as a black man, I'm I'm at least on that part, I am happy that he had this opportunity. But Nick Casario's is going to definitely want to get his own guy here sooner rather than later. And after hearing Nick Casario in that press conference, you look at that. The, the crowd that was there in the inside NRG stadium on Sunday, I, I think they're going to try to start putting these pieces together sooner rather than later in order to build 
a let's say a respectable team and not just one that is the laughing stock of the league as of right now. But like I said, you know, Flores to Houston is just an idea that I wanted to throw out there really quick. Of course, we'll probably revisit this situation in the offseason, sure especially if Flores, you know, get the boot down in South Beach. This episode of the Locked On Texans is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get that tasty and affordable food. It's a place where families and friends can come reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they're having dependable Wi-Fi, endless supply of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home or the away team can come recharge. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, with this Friday installment of Locked On Texans. We got our guy, Mr. Brandon K. Scott from Sports Radio 610, back here with us on Locked On Texans. Brandon, how you doing, man? You okay? After our Houston Astros could not pull off the World Series earlier this week, man. Look, man, I'm glad to be back. I am not glad to be back without a title. I was expecting, mm. you know, especially when you looked at the field, <laughs> and who they ended up with now the Braves were probably an underrated team I think that's safe to say they were mm-hmm. an underrated team. matter of fact out of the final four in the in the championship series on both sides they were given the longest odds to win mm. so people thought even the Red Sox had a better chance of beating the Astros than the than the Braves had a chance of winning it all at all going through the Dodgers and the Astros so you know they they had the longest odds, but they probably had the best team in the end. So, you know, I can't be too bitter about it, man. What I'm happy about is really the opportunity, I think, and especially for Texans fans right now, like you, you kind of get caught up in the wins and losses and the monotony. And then when you have a, a successful run like what the Astros did, you forget how rare it is. You know, Rockets fans too. Rockets yeah. fans too. Well, it's a, it's a hell of a balance to live in this city though, right? To, yeah. To, to know what the Astros, well, I'm sorry, what the Texans and what the Rockets are going through versus what the Astros have been able to accomplish over the past, you know, it's called five six, years. Yeah, six, oh, six years. years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when they first made their first playoff run was mm-hmm. uh, was 15, and then and then it kind of just went from there. So, yeah, man, it's this is this is a a reflection point for me, like to to just look back and think, okay, this is what success looks like. And this is what it doesn't look like. You know, we got we got the prime <laughs> examples of both right now. We got a team just kind of coming out of purgatory of being on the championship level. And I kind of want to transition over to championship level. Nick Sirio was asked about how far the Texans are from a championship level type of team. And I loved his honesty. Now, he came out and said, I don't have a crystal ball. There's no timetable. That's all we can do is just stack up the days and put some building blocks in place. Quite frankly, we've got a lot of great people in our building. I like that honesty year one into uh, the six-year contract that he signed in the offseason to be the GM here. A lot of people don't see him getting to year five. I think he gets to year five. But overall, how do you feel about that honesty and that response to the championship level? How long did it take for Houston to get there and compete? Yeah, I mean, I just think it was realistic, you know, like Nick Casario gets criticized a lot for using a lot of words to not say much. And he does do that. But I think this was just kind of this is just right. What's right before us? You know, they are at the bottom right now. 
it is a process. Well, he said that before, and we know that and understand that it's a process. You can't just, you know, turn it on and make it happen overnight. So, I mean, I, I appreciated the, the, the candid response, the candid answer. Uh, but the fact is with the, with the Texans, it's not necessarily the same type of rebuild. Like you can't really cross compare all of the sports with the rebuilding process and the advantage that the Texans have. And this is any team in the NFL for that matter. If you find yourself in the dumps is that the league is designed for parity. The NBA is not designed for parity. The major league baseball is not designed for parity. The highest bidder wins. The, the one who spends the most money wins or in basketball's case, whoever just has flat out the best one or two players, right? I would argue that the Astros probably had the best one or two players against the Braves, but it takes a little bit more than that. So with football, not having um, not having some, some of the same sort of uh, uh, challenges that the other sports have, I think that the league is designed, you know, Bill O'Brien used to call it an eight and eight league and people would roll their eyes a little bit. Well, it was because it was coming from Bill O'Brien, but he had a point there in the in the sense that every team is given the opportunity to at least be average, to at least be okay. Like every team is in the mix, I think. So I don't think anybody is that that far away. Like it's not going to take five years or four, you know, I don't think it's going to take five or six years for them to get good based off of the infrastructure, based off of what's available to them. If it takes them that long to get good, it'll be their own fault. Brandon, um, you know, since we were talking about Nick Casario right now, look, nine games into the season, what has been your evaluation about Casario? You know, from him trying to put together at least a respectable team. Um, the one thing I like about him, he isn't afraid to say, you know what, this was a wrong signing, this was a wrong trade, and he'll hurry up and get that player out the door. And even along with the whole Deshaun Watson situation about, you know, exploring the trade market and being hell bent on not trading him for a discounted price. Uh, you know, what has been your evaluation for Nick Casario as of right now? You know, I'm still trying to figure him out, Cody, but at the same time, I think that what's obvious is he views draft picks much differently than I think the general public and, and probably much differently than what we're comfortable with. Um, he is, he does not care. He does not seem to covet these draft picks as simply draft picks. Like he just use, he, he views them as draft picks and or capital, you know, and, and I mean, that, it makes sense. I mean, that's what they are, uh, when, when you break it down, but at the same time, I think a lot of us came into the season and look at Nick Casario and want there to be you know, an accumulation of draft picks and then some sort of strategy on what type of players you want to draft and, you know, start establishing these building blocks and, and drafting these young core players that you have missed out on on the past couple of years. And even the, the last time you had a full draft, you didn't do so great with it. Right. We're seeing that play itself out right. now and, and you're big time. those guys big time. So when you think about all of that, I think from the fan perspective, you're like, OK, value these draft picks hit on these draft picks go draft us some cornerstone talent right and he just doesn't seem to view it that way you know i thought about this when the mark ingram trade happened and he got you know a seventh round pick the furthest seventh round pick out that you could possibly get right and john mcclain was on our station was on sports radio 610 
saying that, you know, he'd be on the other side of the grass by the time they make that pick, which I thought was a funny line, you know, from an older guy, old school guy. But then I thought about it and says, you know what? We might all be on the other side of the grass because he might not ever make that pick. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard to fathom that he just simply flipped Mark Ingram for a seventh round pick. And then now now you got to go track and see in 2024 who that seventh round pick is going to be. No, that pick is going to get traded by 10, 12 times by the time 2024 comes. And you're going to have to be like real committed to your spreadsheet to follow who that pick actually turns out to be. So uh, that's what's been most interesting to me about Nick Casario and what stood out to me is the way he is using draft picks as capital and doing it kind of in a shrewd way, like is not shy about it at all, which the only thing that concerns me about that or the main thing I should say that concerns me about that is, you know, how is all of this going to play out with Deshaun Watson, knowing that his view of draft picks and maybe his value of draft picks is a little bit different than what seems conventional or the way I might understand it, the way we might understand it. Uh, like, I, I don't think he's going to, he's trying to get fleeced out here, but like, okay, they get the draft picks, right? Let's say they get the draft picks that we all, that everybody wants them to get. Then what? Then what? Is he picking with those picks? Is he trading some more and trading some more and trading some more? Like, I don't know where it ends. I don't know where it ends, but it is entertaining at least to follow. And uh, I think it's way too soon to say for sure whether he's like good at this or not uh especially like with with draft picks obviously now he's made some signings and made some moves that i think we all can just categorically call failures right you know the shaq lawson deal um uh, comes to mind uh ryan finley comes to mind which is a minor small minuscule not going to affect the franchise in the long term type of deal um but those, those are just a couple that come off to the top of my head but there have been some moves that have been head scratchers and make you though Anthony trading for Anthony Miller. And then he only, he's only on the team for like six to eight weeks. If that long, like that, that, that to me was um, a disappointment, but overall, I think he at least has an idea for what he's doing. That's not to say he's not going to make mistakes. That's not to say he's not going to have some failures because he is on both fronts. Um, But, but so far so good, At, at least in terms of, feeling like there is a plan um we can pick apart the moves themselves um but i'm i'm not i'm not down on him as a gm yet and we got to move forward but i gotta ask you this question brandon if you could put into one full sentence how do you feel about the c word do you know what the c word is right now culture for houston and i'm going to mention culture in Houston, to you, and in one full sentence, before we move on, I want you to, I guess, give an explanation to the view- viewers. What do you think that means right now? Well, first off, before I say what it means, I'm and I know it's probably hard to put it in the sentence. No, no, yeah, no. Let me just give you my sentence on what I think about it as a conversation piece first. Okay, it's overstated. It's overstated. Okay, like as it's far as it's a good sentence. Yeah, it's over. It it is overstated the culture and like what it is. Okay, look, here's what we're talking about here. Here's what the deal is with the culture. Okay, first of all, they're losing. So the culture, the culture is always going to be bad when you. I don't care. I don't care how good the food tastes in the cafeteria or whatever it is. If you're losing, the culture is bad. Okay, 
for you know for the most part. That doesn't mean that everything process wise is bad. But if you're losing, the culture's bad, the mood is bad. But this is what we're really talking about. This is what the conversation really comes down to with culture and why it's such a buzzword here. Because the person running the team, the person who got the general manager hired, the person who has the owner or chairman CEO's ear the most is is a branded culture coach, a branded culture person or culture shaper, molder or whatever you want to call it. Like, that's what this is about. And I think people are trying to, especially with the way this season is going and the way it looks like it could be going for a little while now until they finally get some players. It seems like the culture here is going to be one of losing. And that to me is what's most significant. I know there have been some interpersonal issues with players, uh, personnel, uh, and folks that have found them, found their way out of the situation on Kirby, right? Over the last couple of years, especially since the culture coach got there. But the main problem I think for the team and its culture is that they have gotten rid of so many good players or allow so many good players to to leave and haven't brought in enough good ones right so so that that at the end of the day like i think that if they were winning if it was working that they'd be able to deal with some of these whatever the interpersonal issues are in the background if they however to whatever degree they exist right but winning cures a lot if they could just go out and draft better uh or or have draft picks if they can go out and you know not waste a trade or uh, something that they somebody that they gave up a pick for like the anthony miller example is what i'm getting at the anthony miller example that i brought up if they can not do things like that i think that the culture is just fine but the reason why culture is such a lightning rod and such a, a talking point is because one of the people that's running the organization prides themselves on building creating and cultivating culture and that has not happened like the culture all this happened with culture since the culture coach got there is the culture has gone in the wrong direction and and so so that is what what has people i think so so up in arms but the issue flat out and the reason why i say it's overstated is that what i said just a minute ago if they could get some players if they could just <laughs> if they could win then the culture would be just fine. It's November. You know what that means? Thanksgiving is on the way. I love Thanksgiving. You guys see I'm a bigger guy. All that good food and treats and plenty of it, but maybe you want a yummy dessert but isn't so full of calories or sugar. It's the perfect time for Bill Bars. Bill Bars are the new holiday dessert. One slice of pie upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Bill Bars are only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and only four grams net carb with plenty of protein covered in 100% real chocolate. There's nothing like a Bill Bar on Bill Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to BillBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at billboard.com and we're back and better than ever a new web interface for the start of the basketball season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online remains your number one spot for all of basketball and football action this season head to our new updated desktop 
or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on, that is L O C K E D O N, to receive your bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports because Bet Online is where the game starts. Thanks for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. Be sure to tune in to our Monday show to see if we're going to celebrate a victory Monday or another loss losing Monday. Now make your second listen, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the national NFL expert analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available on all platforms. Continuing here on this Friday installment of Locked On Texans, always we got our guy, Mr. Brandon K. Scott from Sports Radio 610. Brandon, before we start talking about um, Sunday's game against the Miami Dolphins, I want to get your opinion on this. How much trouble do you think this organization is in? Because you was there, we was there, we saw the crowd inside NRG Stadium. And I've never seen that Texans crowd so dead, so little. And this is what I was afraid of. I, I You know, given how bad, because look, you know, say what you want about the Rockets, but they, they, they tried everything they could to bring a championship here in the city of Houston with the James Harden area, and it was time to rebuild. Same thing goes with the Houston Astros. You know, I mean, they gave us a hell of a run over the last five to six years. But with the Texans, it seems like they never even reached the pinnacle. I mean, the pinnacle for this team is possibly up them being up 24 nothing on Kansas City, and it's just been downhill from there. When you sat there with this team now on a seven-game losing streak, you saw that crowd. Nothing. This team has nothing going from itself, maybe outside of Jonathan Grenard. How much trouble do you think this organization is in? Yeah, I think sports by and large are foolproof. Like, I don't think that they are really in trouble from a business standpoint, but I think that they've already lost a ton of credibility. Like, like it, it, that's not even in trouble. That is that is indicative in what you saw on Sunday in, in so many empty seats. So uh, if there's one thing that Nick Casario talked about at the press conference that that I would disagree with or just wouldn't fully understand where he's getting that from or who's who he's talking to. It's the idea that, and, and I guess this is internal and people in the building, I guess. And, and I mean, what else would they say to him? Right. But the I idea already know people, where you're going. <laughs> well, the idea that people like the direction that they're going in and that the things, exactly. and the, and the things that they're doing, it's like, Oh man, you, that must be somebody that y'all are paying really well or feeding really well or treating really well. Because when we talk about the product on the field, and the fan base that has been there the last 20 plus years now, it, it, it is not that. There are trust issues. I think the trust issues are mounting. They are growing. They are worse than they ever were. And I just I think back to uh, there was a tweet that I saw from one of my colleagues at 610, uh, Sean Pendergast, where we're looking at the 2019. It might have been the world. It might either been the World Series or the ALCS. But in 2019, the postseason, let's call it. For the Astros, you had obviously the Astros in either the ALCS or the World Series. You had James Harden and Russell Westbrook sitting behind home plate. And I think that the Texans were about to make their the last postseason run that they've made, which was that season. And then, of course, we know how that ended. You know, they had the Buffalo game, which was exciting. And then 
you know, 24 to nothing against Kansas City, which is where it seems to fall. But how quickly it falls is the point. That exactly. was just two years ago, guys. That right. was two years ago where you had two of the best players of their generation in the NBA sitting there in Astros jerseys behind home plate rooting on a generational baseball team that you've got. And at the very least, even though I don't think any of us thought that the Texans were going to win the Super Bowl that year, at the very least you had franchise quarterback and some players that you could be proud of. You had the foundation. You had it there. Um, And certainly at that point, you wouldn't have foreseen that any of what happened would have happened, for honestly, for any of those three teams, right? Like the Astros have maintained their success on the field, but of course they, not too long after that, ended up having the the sign-stealing scandal came out and they had to go through all of that. Um, the next season, obviously James Harden and Russell Westbrook won out of here. And then of course we know what's happening with Deshaun and with the Texans and everything, like everything changed, everything, you know? And so it's just, it's wild to consider that. But, you know, as far as like your question of like, how, how worried am I for the team? You know, I'm, I'm worried that they have lost a, a, a level of credibility that could stick with them for a while. And I don't know, like, I don't see when and how exactly they're going to get that back, you know? Um, But from a business standpoint, you know, like we know that the butts and seats stat was not the same as the whatever, what did they say? Like 60,000, some thousand people were there. Yeah. It was like 68,000 or something like that. And there were not, there were not flat out like i'm not an expert in counting uh you know tens of thousands of people but there were not sixty-eight thousand people there <laughs> but but if sixty-eight thousand people if that's how many if that's how many tickets they sold then they made their lit you know and and, and and honestly i'm not telling anybody what to do or what to be passionate about i'm still passionate about the team myself i make a living off of it but i mean if we're honest about it it is the fact that people that people do care and people are passionate about it that makes it such a good business model it's 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 almost a little bit like uh like a little bit of a bit of a mind game a little bit of a mind torture because you're like i don't want to support them but i love the, but i love the team um, but i don't believe in ownership or, or leadership but that's who benefits the most when i support the team you know like it's a uh like i don't know if y'all, y'all remember that <laughs> I don't know if I should even bring this up. Y'all remember that rally for Deshaun before all of the before all of the allegations came out and, and boys yeah, was out remember. there, boys was out there on the street rallying for my man. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember thinking at that time, I'm like, man, first of all, this is corny, but second of all, they have no idea that them people is up in their office counting their money, and they don't give a damn what you got to say about it. They don't. They don't care. They don't care as long as long as them checks cash. As long as money stay green, um, the business is what it is, man. I think the first thing Houston needs to do is to move forward in the right direction of getting a win against a team you should get a win against, and that is the Miami Dolphins. You go, you go through this crazy week of trade talks. You go through this crazy last couple of months of trade talks with this team just to set it up both one and seven when you go into the game on Sunday. How can Houston walk away with a win? if there's even possible. And we now know that Tyrod Taylor will be the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a start right there is making a a change. Two things that are significant, and and you just basically hit on them. 
a change of quarterback, I think is going to be significant for the team and playing a lesser opponent, quite honestly. And I, and I don't like when people make the excuse of the opponent, like when they won the, the season opener against Jacksonville and people are like, well, it's just Jacksonville. Well, I'm like, well, that's who they played. That's what they played. So good for them. Good for them that every team is not the doggone Buffalo Bills. You know what I mean? Like you need sometimes you need them kind of breaks. You need to play the Miami Dolphins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets. You know, um, <laughs> you need moments like that. Uh, like, honestly, so I, I think that they have a decent chance going into this game. What concerns me more than anything is how poorly that they've performed on the road. You know, and and obviously they've played much better teams on the road. Like we're, we're talking about, you know, the Browns, the Bills. Uh, we're talking about the Cardinals, right? Um, but it, there still seems to be a problem there with focus and concentration and execution and everything. Like they just look like they look like a totally different team on the road, which says a lot because it's not like they look like world beaters at home either, right? It's not like they look great at home, but they don't even look competent on the road the Colts is the one that I forgot about um so you know I I am not really expecting them to win this game which I'm in a weird I'm in a weird place now because you know I picked them to win four games this year three of those let's see three of those have already been played and they Uh and they lost two of them so now I'm like, okay, I didn't have them winning this game to begin with, you know, to, to start the season. I feel better about it now and seeing what Miami is, you know, worst offensive line, one of the worst offensive lines in football. Uh, the defense not as good as I think people were going to make it out to be. Like this, this, this Miami Dolphins team is nothing like I think what it was somewhat billed as this up-and-comer. <laughs> so whatever Deshaun Watson thought he might might be looking at as a um, as a potential destination, what he thought he was getting himself into. I wonder how he really feels about that now to the, to, you know, at this point, but yeah, man, I, I think that, I think that Tyrod Taylor helps a lot. It's, it's just hard to have confidence in a team that you've seen. Uh, I mean, last time they were on the road, they scored five points, man. And I said that at the time I was like, man, if they come out here with five points. That's going to look like the biggest accident that you've ever seen in your life. I don't think it's ever been a game like that where the school, final score was 31 to 5. That's the first time that that was been a final score in a game. No, you're, you're correct. That was the first time in league history. Man, you you got here scoring five points, man. I mean, you accidentally got a safety. because you know, <laughs> you know, And, and Kyler Murray is basically in, in that whole offense. They're basically playing with, oh, we can spot them five points. That's, 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 all, they, that's, all, they, that's all they really going to get, you know. Um, so, so, basically, man. I, I want to see what the offense looks like now with Tyrod Taylor back uh, behind center. Um, I, I know that there's been a, a conversation about whether this team at this point, you know, earlier in the year, it was still new and didn't re- really know what the team was. And so it was like, oh, OK, well, maybe he's going to help them have a little bit more confidence. Maybe this is going to be uh, a different story than what we had already pre-written. Well, now the story is just as bad, or if not worse, than what we thought it would be. You know, where are where are the players at now with this? You know, like like what is does it does it spark something within them? Does it matter? You know, are they are they are they good enough? Does Tyrod have enough around him to be successful? You know, mm-hmm. I think it's a legitimate question. Like he's a better player than Davis Mills, objectively. Um, but you look you look around him. Look at that offensive line, man. Like I know you know you got. 
Charlie Heck and Geron Christian starting on the edge of tackles. That's much different than what uh, what I think we were expecting to have in Laramie Tunsil and Marcus Cannon there, and that not and that not working out. Even more so on the interior. We were talking about the draft, the 2019 draft, I think, earlier. I mean, Max Sharpen, man, he's got to be the guy that we talk least about because uh, he plays interior offensive line. But we're talking about somebody who had a solid rookie year, started at left guard in his second year, got his job taken. They move him to right guard, gets his job taken again. Guy's not guy's not strong enough, and or maybe if strength is not the issue, he's def- certainly not physical and nasty enough what it requires to be an offensive lineman, specifically inside like that as a guard. So, you know, I'm just looking around. And then, of course, uh, Justin Britt's been banged up. You know, the the circumstances around Tyrod Taylor are different and less than ideal, less ideal than what they were the last time he played. Um, so I don't know if this is really as much about Miami for me. It's not that I don't think that they can beat Miami. I just don't see I, I, I don't see them as a winner right now. Like it's almost like I need to see them win a game for me to pick them to win a game. <laughs> and I don't know if that I don't know if that's lazy. I don't know if that's jaded. I, I don't know. But I'm just being honest with y'all. I, I cannot pick this team to win a game right now. And I 100 agree with you, my man. Brandon K. Scott from Sports Radio 16. Brandon, really quick, where can our listeners follow you at on Twitter, Instagram, and please be sure to, to tell them about the B Block Podcast, my man. Yeah, Absolutely. man, the B Block, the, the B Block Podcast. You can get wherever you get your podcast. So I appreciate y'all if y'all support that. Uh, Google, Spotify, uh, Apple. So you can find it in all those places. I'm on Twitter at Brandon K. Scott. So be sure to follow me there. I'm on Instagram at B Scott from Hiram Clark. If you're not from Houston, Hiram Clark has an E at the end. So that is B Scott from Hiram Clark on Instagram. And uh, yeah, no, of course, whatever we're doing at Sports Radio 610, I'm a big part of. So, um, so yeah, man, y'all, there's a bunch of different ways to uh, to connect. Hmm. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. I want to pass it off to my Neo soul brother, John. Some sports guy hit me. <laughs> First and foremost, everybody, before I even say mine, let's give each other a, a group hug via uh, restream. It's, it's been a rough season. We'll give each other a group hug. I am John Hickman. You can follow me on Twitter at we're going to keep it going. As some sports guy, make sure you follow the Locked On Texans Twitter page as well at Locked On Texans. Take those same thumbs. Go on over to YouTube and subscribe to the Locked On Texans YouTube page. Like and comment. Until we find you guys again for next week, whether it be a victory Sunday or Monday or a loss Monday, we'll talk more Texans soon. You guys have a peaceful weekend. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.